Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Brian Whittington of EBS Growth. Brian helps teams develop, helps companies develop really good sales teams, gets them really good data, and uh, helps them with sales development process and building their business for a repeatable funnel. Now, there's some great tidbits in this one. He's going to help us understand what are the four key triggers that we can pull in any business development process. We're going to talk a little bit about the fact that omni-channel, in his opinion, isn't the way. The right channel is the way. And we're going to talk as well about how do we identify, how do we truly identify that ideal customer profile. Excited for this one? Let's get started. Well, cheers, everybody. I'm sitting here with a nice little espresso, and I get a chance to uh, introduce Brian Whittington. Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales for another episode. I'm so pumped to have a good friend and partner, Brian, on with us. And uh, Brian, you are much better at uh, giving an introduction of yourself than I am of giving an introduction for you. So do you mind diving in a little bit for the listeners on who you are? Yeah, no problem. So uh, yeah, Brian Whittington, I'm a founder of EBS Growth. We're a sales effectiveness firm out of Pittsburgh. And really, Paul, what we focus in on is three areas of sales effectiveness. One is getting a really good sales team. If you get that really good sales team, then you need really good data where you can actually have a conversation with somebody. And then the third piece is if you don't have the sales team and you don't have the data, we can act on your behalf doing sales development as a service. So those are really the three tranches in which we play. Awesome. Brian, thank you very much. Can you do me a favor? And we're all in the sales game here. We all define it a little bit differently. Do you mind just what is your core definition? If you're doing those three things for sales, what's your core definition of sales? Yeah. So sales is not marketing. Sales is not negotiating. So that's what it's not. I would really look at sales as a really project management with human relationship skills is really what sales is. From the cold outreach, so if you're doing full cycle sales, that includes from outbound, cold calling, cold email, lead generation, all the way through to pipeline management and close. Uh, I would also include sales as that account management or customer success of cross-selling, upselling. So that's where sales, I would say, plays. And each one of those, whether if you're prospecting only as an SDR, BDR, or if you're pipeline only as an AE or even a prospecting AE, or if you're cross-sell, upsell as an account manager, customer success, you still need to do all the same things. You need to identify a problem and help them to identify that root cause of the problem, right? So that gets into the project management of identifying what it is. And then the best solution, whether yours or somebody else, else's, the best solution, uncover that, and then make sure if you're the right solution, that you help them to have that emotional, compelling reason why to act and act with you if you're the best approach. If you're not the best approach, then be a good, integrity-filled person and say, you know what? We're not the best here. Let me recommend this person and have. then you're going to have the best evangelist ever. So you won't win on this round, but the next round, you're going to have that win plus all of their friends and family coming to you, you know? That's a really unique definition. I, I've never heard that. So project management with relationship skills tied in. So what is is one more important than the other? Like, how do you look at that in your world? Well, so I would say you don't have to be terribly relational. I think most people, right, I'm going to get 
the, the police called on me for saying that because everybody says sales is all about the relationship. No, it's really not. If you are in enough pain, if you have a big enough problem, you'll do business with somebody that you don't necessarily like. I would rather say that sales is based on trust. Have you built up that environment of trust, comfort, and credibility at a peer-to-peer level? That even if you don't necessarily like me, because maybe I'm not the you know the, the smiling, clad, handing, take you out for beers and a, and a doll kind of thing, but I can solve your problem. You're going to go with me over somebody that you know is a professional visitor. I have a huge pipeline. I'm just not closing any business. I'm getting invited to your kid's birthday party for goodness sakes, but you're not buying anything from me because I haven't built up the trust that I truly understand what your problem is and can therefore solve it with the right solution. So I would say more important than anything is that project management of uncovering the problem and being able to solve that problem. So I think of a book, uh, Kim Scott wrote a book called Radical Candor. And in radical candor, that's where you can have be assertive, not aggressive in your language. I'm going to assertively ask you hard to answer questions and challenge your assumptions to make sure that we have it right. That's assertive with human relationship. But obnoxious aggression, that's the second best, where at least you know what I'm coming at you with so you can make sure that you get the problem solved. So the rest is just, you know, trying to be friendly for your own selfish interest, which I disagree with wholly. When I hear that, I I think of business and focused. I think of a focused relationship, right? A relationship and an exchange of communication. We have to trust each other. It's a focused relationship. I think what you're working to dispel, what I hear is working to dispel that myth that I need need to be liked. So I think there's a massive, massive difference between being and I go to Stephen uh, M. R. Covey's book, uh, Speed of Trust, where he defines, you know, the things that you have to have in trust is character and competence. Right. Right. So he defines those pretty, pretty clearly. And uh, he doesn't put character, competence and friendliness right, or likability or I mean, those are all things that that happen. But tell me a little bit more about that concept, because I know you're also a. Uh, one of the things that we have connected on is you use these OMG assessments before. And one of their things is this idea of need to be liked in sales. But I, I what does that mean to you? So when you dive in, I, I love that idea of radical candor, obnoxious aggression. Um, I wouldn't, I've never, I mean, I've got to read that book, but tell me more about that. Like sales need to be liked, this idea of being able to res- be respected, not liked. Uh, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So I have two lovely daughters. Um, and I would rather them be respected than liked. Right? So that's the kind of the way that I, that I look at the difference. If I'm worried about being liked, then let's take this in a couple of different tranches. If I'm worried about being liked whenever I'm on a cold call or uh, I'm doing outbound prospecting, if somebody pushes back with the least amount of pushback, which by the way, your best buyers are going to be those that are strong personalities. So if I say, oh, okay, I caught you at a bad time or, oh, okay, you're not interested whatsoever without being able to ask a follow-up converse or question that is for their benefit, right? If I'm a high need for approval, I won't ask that question. If I get an objection, I won't answer it. If I get a price objection, I'm going to cut my cost. And if we put that into a sales, the sales pipeline, 
well, now I'm not going to ask for introductions to multi-thread this. I'm not going to ask for next steps. I'm not going to ask those hard questions. And I'll just take that smoke level, that high level, you know, oh yeah, it works. Well, help me understand if it works, why are we seeing these results? Somebody with a high need for approval won't have the, the confidence to ask that question because they're scared of upsetting them. And in reality, you're so worried about being liked that you won't be liked because you're not helping them. And it's it's really hard to get over that because most people get into sales because they're say, they're told, hey, Paul, you're really good with people. You should get into sales. <laughs> That's not the case at all, right? The, the reason that you should get into sales is because you're, you're skeptically curious about what's going on and you love to problem solve and you can take them through that path and you have the integrity to give the right solution, whether yours or not. So that's really the way I, I look at that. But if you have a high need for approval, you're not asking for the business. You're out, not asking for the next steps. You're not overcoming those objections. You're not asking the right questions to overcome the or to answer their questions properly because you're too scared about thinking what you're going to say as opposed to dealing with that because you're trying to be liked. So it's it's a pervasive cancer like that really needs to be eradicated from from sales. I have been recently talking, and it's on a number of these these podcasts. I, I'm I'm so in line with you. Like I, I've been talking about this idea of cognitive empathy versus emotional empathy. I take it from there's a uh, Friedman who who did a great book, and I'm the title is escaping re, me right now. And it will I'll for anybody that's listening, I will make sure we put this in the chat. There's a great book where he says that weak leaders essentially lead from the lowest common denominator. And the lowest common denominator, a lot of times, is human emotion in the moment, right? And so when we lead from that human emotion in the moment, which is a lot of people are saying empathy, we, we you need to have empathy. You need to understand what people are feeling and how people are feeling it and why they're feeling it. That's incredibly important. And so that's what we call emotional empathy, right? Incredibly important as a leader. But when you're when you're making majority of your decisions based on that and a need to be liked is that lowest common denominator, right? Then you're not setting yourself up or your company up for a vision-based success plan, right? Because you're always going, that vision is not going to feel good at every at any given point. But the idea of cognitive empathy is being able to understand why they put themselves in those shoes. So like cognitive empathy with a CEO to me is project is amazing project management. That's my that's how I'm delivering that, which is how we walk a path together that I need. I know enough about you and putting myself in your shoes. And I know that I need to know enough about you that I can ask those hard questions without being afraid, which fear becomes that again. Uh, if I lead with that lowest common denominator fear, I'm not going to get to that point. So the point I guess I'm trying to make is I, I'm in complete agreement on that that need to be liked. It also becomes that lowest common denominator, right? It is that because it's a, it's a fear-based response. It's, oh my gosh, somebody won't love me. And it's the book is called A Failure of Nerve by Edmund Friedman. So I knew it would come up. But <laughs> so let's let's dive in a little bit on your spot in sales because we spent a lot of time on that definition and we could, we could talk years on that, but I want to, I want to dive into like, where is your fit now? How'd you get started and where is your fit now in this amazing <laughs> profession we call sales? Yeah. So uh, I, I think like most, I accidentally got into sales, right? 
I've always been around sales. My mother was uh, retail sales all of her life and didn't really know what I wanted to do whenever I grew up and ended up getting into sales, but I went retail sales, right? Because that's what I knew. And you talk about a rough lot. I was Mm -hmm. 21 years old, making maybe 30 grand a year, 35 grand a year. As a 21 year old, you're like, woohoo, that's good. That's a good amount. And then it hit me oh my gosh, this is going to be the rest of my life for the rest of my life. And I loved travel. So I ended up becoming a pilot of all things with the military. But I didn't know that about you. Yeah. If you look back here, so I I was a glorified gas station attendant. I flew KC 135s. Are you Um, serious? That's yeah. So I flew flew KC 135s with the Air National Guard. But the cool thing about the Air National Guard, it's a part time gig. Mm -hmm. Well, I read this book called The E Myth by Michael Gerber, and I fell in love with entrepreneurship. And I just jumped into it. And that was about 2002. I started my first entrepreneurial venture, Um, ended up in real estate because this real estate was hot, became a real estate agent. And I remember it was the first year I was a real estate agent in in 2005. I asked one of the agents, I said, how do you plan this out? I mean, your ebbs and flows, your 1099, how do you hit consistent revenue? And he looks at me and goes, I have no idea, kid. And he's been in this this industry for years and years and years. Lo and behold, I came to find that most real estate agents, they sell about two or three houses a year, right? And Mm -hmm. back whenever I started, you could not survive off of that. So I accidentally became rookie of the year just from hustle and asking people questions. Well, in 2008, that's whenever the market really tanked. And I I ended up having to close things down because I, I went way overboard and tried to build up uh, multiple different businesses. I was running like seven businesses at the time, just got overextended. And whenever the bottom fell out, there went everything. Well, I ended up getting in or finding out about this uh, group called Sandler Sales. Mm -hmm. And I ended up finagling away because I was just broker than broke at that point, right? Everything fell out. I had to close down the businesses. Finagled a way of getting into Sandler. And within two weeks, I thought, oh my gosh, if I would have known this, this would have transformed everything. Because from that 2002 to 2008, I thought that you had to be liked. And I'm sometimes not the most likable person. Ask my wife and kids, right? So that's what I thought you had to do. And then once I went to Sandler and found out there was sales methodology, the thing that I learned from flying was being a flight instructor, the best way to learn is to teach. So I ended up becoming an associate with Sandler so I could teach sales. And that's the way I really started to learn. So that was back in 2009. And I've just absolutely been a student of the game of sales since 2009. So really started tinkering it with it about 2005, six. I thought I knew what I was doing. But once I hit Sandler and there was a methodology to it, and, and here here's the big thing. I don't care if you do Sandler, Spin, Gap you name it, they're all more or less the same fundamentals, but get a good methodology. And your methodology is not your sales process, which is what Paul's going to probably talk on too. Your sales selling system tied with your sales methodology, if you do that well, you'll be effective in sales. That's an awesome story. No, I absolutely love that. And, and right at the end there, I completely 100%, I call it a sales framework, right? And and yeah. And which the framework entails the methodologies and processes and also you know everything else that you need uh, around sales but if, and the, and the tech stack essentially so you have a framework that ties ties together the difference but I, I'm so in agreement with you I, I first 
in sales process and methodology. Like I actually started in sales process. Like I got, I got this Smart, idea. Okay. Here's the process and here's how we got to follow it. And that was in sales operations. Right. But I didn't understand that big gap. There was a massive skills gap that I had for a long time that because I was focused solely on process mm-hmm. and I was the same thing. I was like, I need to be like, but I, wait, I followed these steps. I followed these steps, but okay. I didn't follow, I didn't follow them skillfully and I didn't follow them in the right way. So how do you help people then today? What What's your role? What's your role right now in the sales, in the overall sales game? With whenever companies uh, come to me, they typically are in a couple of different stages. They might be early stage founder led sales. So they don't have a sales team yet, or maybe they have one or two that aren't doing terribly well. So we can evaluate their current team to see how they're doing, make recommendations. We call it a sales effectiveness and improvement analysis, right? So we can do that to really test the, the team. And then we can either do it, uh, what's called a do it yourself model or a done for you model. And we take really good sales data, and we have a couple of different sources that we can get sales data for them. And then we run it through what we call the Reach My ICP, you know, vetting process of sales of the of this data. And as you know, Paul, what this does, it is allows us to know if the person is going to answer their telephone, if they're going to be likely to be engaged on LinkedIn. If you can only email them because they're not going to ever answer the phone or be on email or excuse me on LinkedIn, or if you have to do the most costly approach, right? For years and years and years, all of these gurus were saying omni-channel, omni-channel, telephone, email, LinkedIn, right? That is the most costly approach. Here's a case in point. We just re- recently discovered this. If we use the Reach My ICP process and only call those who answer the phone, Paul. We call mm-hmm. them T3s. We're able to, we were able to set a meeting once every 58 attempts, not conversation, every 58 attempts. Calling non-T3, we call them T2. Those T2, where we know that voicemail ties to that person. So it says, hi, this is Paul Fuller, right? We know that matches. Instead of a call or 58 calls to set a meeting, we had to do 450 calls to set a meeting, plus leave voicemails, plus do email. There is such a massive difference in doing that and the cost associated with that, let alone how many people out there use uh, a Zoom info or a, what you name the platform, and they have their sales team just cold call and cold email that list. If you do that, you're going to have a conversion rate somewhere between a 3 to 5% call to connect rate. And you're going to take uh, here, I have it right here. So I ran the numbers here, um, not too far back. 13,279 attempts to do what we can do with those T3 in 454 attempts. So that one person, just one salesperson doing 50 calls a day, right? That's the average. They're doing 50, 40 to 50 calls a day. One sales rep, it would take them 256 business days right? However many weeks that is, that's business days. So a whole entire almost year of business days, which takes you probably a year and a half, two years of business days to do what we can do in nine. And so that's what we're really focusing in on. So I don't care how good your salesperson is. If they're having to do 13,279 attempts 
talk to the same amount of people that we can do in a month, they're not going to be able to compete. And they're, that's why they're not hitting their revenue targets, their book meetings targets, because it's not like they're not trying. They just don't have the number of conversations that they need. So that's what we really focus in on is helping people to have more conversations in a shorter period of time. So I, one of the things that you mentioned there, well, everything that you mentioned there is is really goes along to the thought that I have that is a part of that sales framework, right? Which is data is the engine, regardless of how you get it or if you're omni-channel. I have, I have two questions for you on, on the omni-channel one, but data is the engine that drives any sales process. Like if you think about it, and we when we talk about data, it's who is the ideal customer? Where does that ideal customer sit? How can I get in touch with that ideal customer? Uh, why on earth would that ideal customer have any psychographics or demographics that associate them with wanting to talk with me any way, shape, or form? Right. Mm-hmm. That it that becomes the engine that drives that drives everything. And I think that that was a that was a change, uh, you know, when the internet came about and we stopped stopped calling with phone books. But um, how did you come upon this this method? Uh, for getting good data into their into a salesperson's hands, like how how on earth did you ever find this? Like, yeah. So um, there's really only four levers that you can pull. Okay. Whenever you're prospecting, there's only four levers. One is your your target list. So that's that's your market. So I call it the four M's. It's your market. It's the medium through which you reach the market. It's the message that you send through that medium to the market. And then the fourth is your messenger. And in reality, you have those four overarching levers to pull. Now, there's a ton of sub-levers to it, right? So different dials Mm -hmm. that you can tune in. But in, in, in the most simplistic, you have those four. It's your market. It's your mode of communication to reach that market. It's your message and the messenger delivering that message. That's really it. And so just through study, through, you know, there's actually a competitor of ours now. I used to be a partner with them. That's through, through working with them. That's really where I discovered this and, and pulling this all together. But it hasn't been until we've been putting this to use. Because to be candid with you, Paul, whenever I started this, we th- thought technology was the play. So we got the most expensive technology out there that we thought was going to be awesome, right? So we were using parallel dialers, making 150 dials a day, but we're screaming through data faster than you can than you can replenish it. We're still only at a 3% call to connect rate. It was 500 uh, dial attempts to that one meeting. That used to be the metrics. Hey, 500 attempts to one meeting. That was a metric. Now, what we've been able to do is, is because of what we learned in using this methodology of identifying only those who pick up the phone and then only calling those who pick up the phone, that's where we've been able to convert this to a, a meeting every 58 dials. And we're pushing for you know one to two meeting every 12 conversations. And that depending on that's going to vary on what you do. If you're more complex or highly commoditized, you might be in around 20 conversations to a book meeting. Or if you're really super hot, new new thing, like if I was selling GPT-3 or chat GPT, then I probably need about three conversations to book a meeting. So it really depends on what your offering is, but that's going to be your metrics. 
but it's the number of conversations and how is the how can I most quickly get into it? And that's where we we started using this reach my ICP. And you know, you have to do it right. We took us about two years to figure out the mechanics of it. And then once we figured it out, that's whenever we really started taking off. You said something a little earlier that caught my ear, which is, and it's going to catch a lot of people's ear, which is omni-channel. You need to be, you need to be everywhere. And you said, no, you don't like, tell me about that. Cause that is one thing I'm really keen on. Like I, I love where we're going in this, where we're going in sales, which is we're getting to a point where we can more effectively reach the people that need to be reached with the right message at the right time and do so across channels and do so in a more human way, right? I love I love the fact that we can do that these days. Do so the fact that we can have a conversation. You said it. The conversation is, I always say the conversation, the business conversation is the critical currency of all business, right? It's where it starts. Nothing, nothing happens without it, right? But you have a specific approach to increase your odds, and you're saying no, you don't need omnichannel. So tell me more about tell me more about that. Yeah, well, omnichannel sold by tech that we know that they make it easier for you to use all different resources, right? Mm-hmm. Now, here's a couple of things that have changed. The dial to connect rate back in the old days, I used to make four four dials and have one conversation and you know it was no problem but that was back early 2000s right yep. since early 2000s until today now the average i need to have 18 to 50 dials to have one conversation well a year or so ago about 20 late 2020 into 2021 they started implementing stir shake or shake sure i can't i can't remember the do you remember that with the name of it it's uh, stir shake or something told like me that. about it yeah yeah so what that does is that plummets your dial to connect rate because if you don't do that properly then the telephone won't work. So it's more than just good data, it's more than just having that data sift, sifted and filtered like what we do, but then it's also utilizing it correctly. So those omni-channel technologies don't do the state the shake stir. They also are just blasting these emails out and now your email reply rate is one half to maybe 2%. So that's not working. So it's a massive volume play. And everybody gets frustrated. And then you go, okay, well, let's try LinkedIn. All right. Well, 85% of the people on LinkedIn are only on there 15 minutes or less to a month. So if you're doing LinkedIn, that's a lot of wasted effort there. So if you're wasting effort because only a half to 2% are going to reply to your email, if you're wasting effort on LinkedIn, and that's a long process, unless if you're cheating the system and doing an automation and everybody loves automation and they're LinkedIn, right? And then <laughs> if you're calling people who are never going to call to answer, it's just nothing but waste. So our premise is this, only use the channel that will work. Now, there are some companies that my approach won't work, right? There's one company where we had to do omni-channel because that's the only approach that's going to work because of that whole entire list, only 5% of that list answered their phone. So if I'm only going to be able to reach 5% of the whole entire list, that's not going to have great success. So that's where on some campaigns, we do have to do omni-channel, but we just know that the customer acquisition cost is going to be substantially higher because of the labor effort required. But if I have 20 to 40% of my list picking up the phone, 
I can do more by telephone. If I have a 15 to 30% call to connect rate or a three to seven attempts to a conversation, I can have more conversations faster than most sales organizations. So going back to that example, 454 attempts to have 101 conversations, as opposed to 13,279 attempts to have those same 101 conversations. It's an unfair advantage that you can't keep up with. I can have two SDRs do that part-time, or two sales reps doing that at 50 dials a day. That's $15,000 sales rep cost. Whereas to do that, um, the reps needed to have 101 conversations in five days would require 16 reps. So what we did, 101 conversations in five days, two reps, $15,000. To be able to do that needs 16 reps. That's 120000 So what would you rather, 15000 a month or $120,000 to have the same results? Yeah. When you said, oh, so only use the channel that will work. That is awesome. I, I love the four M's. So uh, that's going to be one of the highlight reels that come out of this. Uh, <laughs> it come out of this pod, but market, medium, message, and messenger. Having those four, do you have any sort of scoring system, or how do you how do you look at that when you're getting into an engagement and you're getting into start you know leveraging how we okay how do we leverage the resources that we have right now to go make an impact? Right, you know that not everybody's going to be perfect for you know. Uh, for for outbound dialing, your outbound phone calls, you know that everybody's not going to be perfect for LinkedIn. How do you look at the right market, the right medium, the right message, and the right messenger? So on the target side, let's hit that because that's likely the most important. If you don't have right target, meaning if you don't have your ideal customer profile, if you don't have your intimate understanding of who will care about this and why, you're going to miss. So mm-hmm. that that list, that target, knowing your market, the the approach, uh, who to approach in your market, that's the most important. If you miss on that, I don't care how fancy your tech stack is, how good your sales team is, how good your messaging is. If you don't get that right, nothing else will work. So that's step number one. Step number two is taking that intimate knowledge and being able to uncover the why somebody will act. And we put that in a message. So if it's you, if you have an easy approach, the nice thing is if that same messages matches each and every single one of your the, the ideal personas to go after, easier. If not, then we have to have a couple of separate campaigns. So right message to that market. That's second most. Well, I'd say that's third most important. Second most important is knowing the best way to approach that person through the mode. So telephone, email email combo with mm-hmm. uh, voicemail calls or LinkedIn. So that's the third piece that you need. And then the fourth piece is the messenger. And believe it or not, I used to think the messenger was the most important. The messenger is actually the least important. If you have the right target with the right message and you're having conversations, even bad salespeople can have enough conversations using the right message to the, tar- the right targets to convert. So step number one, right? I'm... Um, working with you and I'm not asking you to give up any secrets, but somebody listened to this and they're saying, all right. And and there's, I've done this, you've done this. Hundreds of people, have, thousands, millions of people have done the exercise to reach their ideal customer profile and, and look right. at that. What is your, do you have a most important or a couple of most important thing in looking at who is my ICP or in doing that exercise? Like, how would you, how do you start that for somebody? 
So a couple of things. One is I'm going to look at my go-to-market strategy. Okay. If I can get a little bit into the weeds here. Yeah. I'm going to look at my go-to-market strategy because depending on my average contract value is going to depend on my go-to-market strategy. If I don't have a very high average contract value or I don't have a large lifetime value. So here's what I mean by that. You can use this multi-stage sales development system where you have top of funnel outreach, goes to an AE that does pipeline management, to an account manager or customer success to close, right? If I have that go-to-market strategy, then I'm going to need about, you know, somewhere between with inflation, I would, just to be safe, about $10,000 profit margin. Okay, so your gross profit, that means incremental revenue for those non-accounting people like me. That means how much after your cost of goods sold, how much revenue is left over, not after all expenses taken out, that's your net revenue, but your your gross profit, you have to have about 10,000 per contract, or you need about 25,000 over a three-year period of time of margin to be able to do that omni-channel, or excuse me, to do that, that broken up sales development. If you don't have that, then you need a full cycle sales rep to go the whole entire funnel from prospecting to close and maybe even account management. But I'd be cautious there because if you want them to get net new business, they're going to do all account management and it's all about the relationship and you're going to not get net new business. So that's a different story for another day. Or if that's not going to work, then can you do product-led growth? Which, by the way, product-led growth, you're going to need a sales team anyway to get the large, to, to go upstream. You're going to need a sales team. So you're going to fall into the same problem. Or can you do self-service where you're going to have SEO and tons of marketing dollars to do this? So you really have to determine what your go-to-market strategy is. Once that's figured out, then you can say, okay, what are the trigger events that would really indicate that these people would have a problem, right? So it might be employee size. It might be they're using certain technologies. It might be new hires, new fires, right? Whatever those trigger events are, identify those. And who is going to be impacted by this? And what is the root cause problem, the underlying causation for the problem that they're seeing. Because most of the time what people do, Paul, is they'll see a problem and they'll put a Band-Aid or duct tape or twine it up and they'll have Franken business walking around because they try to just throw all this stuff instead of getting to the root cause. So if you can identify what the root cause is of that and tie what your solution is to that root cause problem, that's where you can write the right message to it. So if I can identify that these companies with these sizes, with these trigger events, likely have these problems that are caused by this, and they can afford what I, my solution, that's how I build the target. Then I identify, well, how are they doing things today? Because is it an intern? Is doing nothing an option? If doing nothing is an option, that's not your target because they won't buy you. Do they have technology that's doing it? Whatever, the, However they're doing it today, identify that and show how you're better. So that then gets into targeting that they can afford you, that they likely are using this stuff. And then that gets into your messaging that shows that you understand because it's not about personalization. Personalization goes back to the relationship. It goes to understanding. I understand your world and the problems that you're having and the impacts that you're having. That goes to understanding. That's building trust. So then I do that. And then I can simply reach out to them over the right mode of communication using that information. So was that clear enough? 
I got it. I got I <laughs> I, I I took a ton of notes. Um and I think one of the, the comments that you made there that I'm I want to dive into. So just everybody hit rewind and listen to that again because did I just date myself? Hit rewind. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, scroll back. But understanding, okay, what is my go-to-market? My go-to-market strategy has a huge impact and my has a huge impact on my ICP. Mm-hmm. All right. And so many people do it the other way around. That's a really interesting take. And I, I, I love that. I think that I learned a ton there. I think one of the things that you said there at the end, well, let's dive into this one one final thing and then we'll we'll close out today. But you said it's about so personalization is hot, right? Oh, hey, John, let me, you know, I checked you out on LinkedIn. You know, here's your this, this, this. You said it's about understanding. It's not about personalization. So that right there is, I think it's a brilliant statement, but dive into it a little bit more. So we, so reach, we I really reach, understand what you mean there. Yeah. If you reach out to me and say, hey, thanks so much for your service. I really appreciate it. Go Bobby Mo. I'm not, you have brought no value to me whatsoever, mm-hmm. right? But if you come to me with, with a challenge that I likely have based upon my business model, hey, Brian, notice that you're dealing with XYZ industry and are using XYZ tech stack. And there's tons of, of ways that you can get that information out there, whether GPT or what is it called? GP3 or chat GPT, there's, there's um, built with. So there's all of these different things that you can use to find that stuff. And then you, you customize it that shows your understanding. So you say, hey, Brian, notice that you're dealing with X, Y, and Z industries, and you're using ABC tech stack to reach them. Typically, it would take one thousand or thirteen thousand two hundred seventy nine attempts to to reach your target audience, whereas what we do it would reduce that to four hundred and fifty four attempts. Don't know if that would be relevant in your world. Something like that, where now you showed extreme relevance, put a little bit of what you do and how would it impact them, and then open to I call it not a call to engagement, or excuse me, not a call to action, not a CTA. But a CTE, a call to engagement, is that worth? Is that a worthwhile conversation to have? CTE, call to engagement. I love it. I think we should we we could talk probably for another. And I'm going to invite you back. We need to have another discussion and and keep diving into this. So does that make sense to you? We have yeah, sure. Definitely have the next one. Okay, cool. So Brian helps people develop really good sales teams with really good data and actually can help them execute on that. How do people, and I would highly recommend if you're into numbers, if you're into discussing that uh, and how this actually can impact your business through the numbers, Brian has got a huge handle that on that. So how, how do they connect with you if they want to reach out? Yeah, the easiest way to, to reach me is just reach out through uh, LinkedIn. It's Brian. I spell it incorrectly. It's with a Y. So Brian Whittington, uh, you can reach me out there. Um, you can also check us out on our website, ebsgrowth.com. So that's Echo Bravo Sierra Growth.com. You can reach us out there. Tons of resources on that on that page for you from podcasts. We have uh, a podcast that Paul's going to be on here in a little bit called The Talent Sales and Scale Show. And you can also sign up if you wanted to see if your data would uh, if this approach would work with your data we have a free pilot that you can run 200 records through so just put in there that you heard it from this uh from this podcast and we can get you a free 200 record pilot to see you know would this be right for your group 
Yeah, if they just put in membrane, that works. Just put in membrane. Yep. Just put in membrane. And that Brian is a membrane partner. We love we love having him uh, in this partnership. And it is something that we we truly, truly value. Haven't mentioned that. We'll dive into that at, at a later date. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for the time spent. I'm going to remember the, the uh, four M's for a long time. I'm going to start leveraging it in my process and how we build. Just an easy, quick and easy way to get a handle on this. And also seems highly, highly effective. So with that, everybody, we're signing out. Have an absolutely blessed and beautiful day. We'll see you. Hey, thanks. Really appreciate it.